to see you, New City Church. Grateful to have all of you here today and a, a happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We've been walking through a, a book of the Bible called Acts together as one church. And I want to encourage you to turn there with me this morning. The scriptures are so important for us because we really do believe that through the scriptures, God speaks to us. That it's not just a book, but it's living and active. It's God's very revelation of himself to us. And so I just want to footstop right up front here that each of you would take time to read the scriptures on your own. And as we're walking through the book of Acts, to read it with us, to study it. We have study questions that are available online and on the app. You can use them at your dinner table as a family or in a group. We'd love for you to continue to journey with God's word because there's one activity above everything else that study after study after study shows that for Christ followers really allows us to follow Jesus and exhibit a Christ-worthy lifestyle, and that's to read God's word. It's living, it's active, it's able to shape us and mold us and encourage us, and it's telling one story. So I want to encourage you to read along with us and study it together as we walk together through the book of Acts. Last week, I went with my 13-year-old son to see Avengers Endgame. Anybody seen, seen that? I'm not going to, I won't ruin it, I promise. It, it has grossed over $2 billion in two weeks. And, and true confessions, I'm not like a big Avengers fan. I didn't know all the backstories. I knew some of the characters, but not all of them. But Endgame is like the culmination of 21 different characters and all of their various stories throughout all the years. And in that way, it's really a picture of the scriptures. And I heard Pastor Matt Chandler talk about this, how really it's, a, it's a illustrative of, of, of how the scriptures speak to us as one story with one voice. Because I don't know if you know this or not. But the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit through 40 different authors over the course of 2,000 years. The scriptures that you're holding in your hands were written over 2,000 years on three different continents in three different languages. And yet it tells one story. From Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. From Genesis to Revelation, all telling one story. Genesis is about Jesus. Exodus is about Jesus. Leviticus is about Jesus. Numbers is about Jesus. Deuteronomy is about, you got it. One story all throughout. And we're going to see that again today in the book of Acts, the story of Jesus. And it's amazing that the power of God's word can speak to us just today like it did when it was written. So I want to encourage you to pick it up to follow along with us in the book of Acts specifically. And we've been walking through the book of Acts in three different sections. And we've covered the first one already. It was a series entitled Witness. And if you missed, missed that, I want to encourage you to go back. It's available online or on your podcast. You can catch up with us through Witness. And now we're in the second installment in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at chapters 6 through 12. And this series is called Beyond. As the gospel goes beyond uh, ethnic Jews in Jerusalem to all the people of the earth. And we talked about the unifying verse of the book of Acts being Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Do you remember this? The theme verse for the entire book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you wanted to tell somebody about the book of Acts in one verse, this would be it. It's the unifying verse of the entire book. And so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this at his ascension. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And we see that begin to happen. The disciples take that leadership mantle, that vision that Jesus gives for the gospel and its progression into all the earth, and they're living that out. And so far in our study, we've seen that gospel witness primarily confined 
to the city of Jerusalem and to ethnic Jews. We've seen some uh, barriers being crossed between ethnic Jews, namely the Hellenist and the Hebraic Jews. The, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. The Hebraic Jews were Aramaic-speaking Jews. And they had different cultures and backgrounds. And they're now acting as one church. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're living as one and overcoming those challenges. But our text today is Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see everything change as the gospel and the church go beyond these boundaries into all the earth. And so if the unifying verse of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, then the amplifying verse is found in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the inverse of it. And, and this was our last verse last week in the message. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 simply says this, And Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? Stephen's. We covered Stephen last week in Acts chapter 7. Saul oversees this and approves of his execution. And the scripture says that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So some time has now passed since the inception of the church at Pentecost, and the church is still primarily within the city walls of Jerusalem and still primarily in one people group, that is ethnic Jews. And so many people have written that if they don't experience Acts chapter 8 verse 1, this amplifying verse, then they'll never live out Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to be witnesses beyond Jerusalem. It's the persecution that they experience here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that sends them beyond, beyond Jerusalem and beyond people that were like themselves. And sometimes, we talked about this last week, sometimes it takes difficult circumstances, tough situations, heartbreak, grief, loss, to get our attention and to move us beyond. Wouldn't you agree with that? Sometimes God uses difficult things in our lives to get our attention and, and to move us beyond ourselves, to, to shake off the veneer and to get to the real truth of what's in our hearts. And that's what's busy happening here. And here's the bottom line. This is the one truth that I want you to for sure take away from the passage today, that God makes a way for people to find the way. God makes a way for people to find the way to find Jesus. God made a way for each of you to find Jesus. God is making a way for you to find Jesus, the way. And the man that we're going to meet today in our text helps to make a way for more people to find the way to find Jesus. He takes the gospel and the church beyond its geographical and its cultural barriers, and his name is Philip. His name is Philip. And we're going to look at his life today in Acts chapter 8. And I don't have time to get into every single part of the chapter. So again, I want to encourage you to read chapter 8 on your own, to study it on your own. But we're going to look at two stories that really show us the heart of Philip, this incredible man that takes the gospel beyond. And so we're going to look, first of all, at the story of Philip and Samaria in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And just to give a little context before I read the passage, in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says that devout men made great lament over Stephen, who had been martyred in Acts chapter 7, the first martyr in the church. And they buried him there. So as the church is scattering, uh, people are being persecuted, they take time to lament over him and to bury him. And then uh, verse 3 simply says that Saul continues to ravage the church. He's, he's breaking up families. Literally, Saul is going house to house, coming to your door, knocking on your door and asking if you're a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way. 
and tearing families apart, separating moms from their children, fathers from their children, uh, separating children from children, all kinds of things that are happening, burning down homes, putting people in prison, executing people. He's already approved the execution, the stoning, the, the brutal murder of Stephen. And in that context, we get this story about Philip. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Let me read it to you. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then this verse, verse 8. Acts chapter 8. So there was much joy in that city. You'll remember that, that Philip was a, a Hellenist. He was a, a Greek-speaking Jew who has now been converted to Jesus. And he's selected for leadership in Acts chapter 6 among six other leaders who are selected to serve the Hellenistic widows that are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food in the church. And in this, as we get to know Philip through the story, we see the definition of Christian leadership. The definition of biblical leadership begins and ends with service. It always begins and ends with service for us as Christ followers. Leadership is always a towel in a basin washing dirty feet as Jesus modeled for us. In a world that is crying out and giving attention to superstars, we stand apart as Christ's followers by being servants. And we see that from the example of Philip. He begins by serving tables of forgotten second-class people. And from there, God amplifies his leadership in a, an incredible way to go beyond Again, Philip is chosen with six other leaders. Among those leaders is Stephen. Stephen and Philip were probably very close, were left to inference because of their selection together, their serving together, their leading together, their living life together. They're both Hellenistic Jews. They have the same ethnicity. They were probably very, very close friends and brothers in Christ. And moreover, Philip probably watched his best friend, or one of his best friends, Stephen, be murdered in cold blood, stoned to death. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, again, among the devout men was probably Philip, who were giving great lamentation over their friend's loss and burying him. And then we get into our story here, Philip and Samaria. From that place of brokenness, Philip is scattered. He goes beyond. And what does he do? What do all the people who were scattered do? Look at verse 4. Do they hide? It would have been very reasonable for them to just go and hide, right? Houses are being burned down. Businesses are being destroyed. Families are being separated. People are being executed for their faith. It would have been very easy to just go and hide. But they go and do what? They go and preach God's word. As they're scattered, they go about talking about Jesus. And specifically in verse 5, Philip goes to a city in Samaria and begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And don't you know that as Philip is scattered, that his heart is also shattered? That his heart is broken over the loss of his friend? To watch someone stoned to death, a brutal way to execute and murder someone. And then to lament over him and bury him. Can you imagine the brokenness and heartache that he must have been feeling? The grief and the pain? 
And yet out of that brokenness, he goes and he ministers and he proclaims the word of God and he preaches to a group of people that, that needs to hear, desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Have you ever been uh, asked by the Spirit, just prompted by the Holy Spirit to go have a conversation with someone or to send someone a Bible verse or text someone or to take someone out to lunch or to go someplace and to talk about Jesus and share your story and all the while, deep down inside, your own heart is breaking? Circumstances in your life aren't going the way that you want them to go? There's a divide in your marriage. There's a brokenness with your children. There's something in your business. There's something financially. There's a great burden on you. You're grieving. You're in pain. You're lonely. And God is pushing you and calling you to go beyond yourself and to continue to tell other people about the goodness of God. When you're searching and wondering and struggling to understand that for yourself, anybody ever been there? Certainly Philip was there. He had to be grieving the loss of his friend and co-worker. His life must feel shattered in so many ways and the lives of so many people that he loved. Probably many of those Hellenistic widows that were arrested and stripped away from their, their hometown and sent packing with nothing. He, his heart must have been completely shattered. And yet out of that pressing comes this incredible ministry. And we see a great application here for each of us that God can meet us in our brokenness, our loneliness, our disappointments, even our misery, and give us an incredible ministry out of our misery. That he can bring beauty from ashes, can he? That he can bring wholeness from brokenness. And that in, in the Christian journey, walking with Jesus, it's not about having it all together, it's about knowing the one who holds all things together. I remember in uh, December 2002, I was a, a young seminary student, and I was working full-time at a church here in Charlotte, and my bride of, of, of a year was a CMS teach, school teacher, fifth grade school teacher, and I was going to seminary, I was going to grad school on, at, on nights and on the weekends. So we didn't see each other a whole lot, but we were loving life and enjoying being newlyweds, and Jim was helping to support me and send me th through seminary. And I got a phone call on December 16th in the midst of all of that that changed my life forever. I, I got a phone call from a person that I worked with and they just said, it was the end of the day. And he said, Chris, would you just stay in your office? I, I need to talk to you about something. It was the end of the day and I thought, I want to go home, but okay. And I waited and I waited and waited and finally they got there. And they closed the door behind them. They sat down and I just said, is everything okay? And they said, no, it's not okay. I need to tell you something. I need to, I need to tell you something about your dad. And I remember asking them, is my dad alive? And he said, no. And I said, what happened? And he said, I, I, I just got off the phone with the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. They found your dad in a field. And he had killed himself with a, with a, with a gun. And even sharing that with you, I know it's a, a big story, and I want to share more of that as we get to know each other better. But, but I want to share that with you because that, that, up until now, is the worst day of my life. And I remember just, um, I couldn't even speak. I just, I, I didn't even know what to think. And I've got two sisters and my mom, and um, I began to think of them, and I had to call each of them and, and share with them what happened. And then three days later, I remember standing in front of a group of people and speaking at my dad's funeral and sharing about the hope that we have in Jesus. And all the while, 
my heart was just completely shattered. And here's what I thought, guys, honestly. I just thought, I'm, I'm, I'm done with ministry. I really am. Because, because this man that I loved and that I cared for so much, I, I, obviously, even in the midst of his depression, I couldn't help him. And I couldn't save him. That's, that's what the enemy wanted me to believe, at least. And so how could I ever help anybody else? I'm just going to quit. I'm going I'm to withdraw from classes. I'm going to quit and find something else to do with my life. And I know it sounds cliche, but for, for several weeks in a row, I would just cry myself to sleep because um, I wanted to be strong during the day for my sisters, for my mom, for, for whatever else um, that was going on. I wanted to present that. But at the end of the day, have you ever been there when you put your, your head on the pillow? It's like all the defenses come down and I would just cry at night. And more times than not, I would feel a hand on my shoulder. I knew that my wife was praying for me. And I had other people that came beside me during that time and prayed for me, invited me on a mission trip not a couple weeks afterwards. And I found myself standing in front of another group of people sharing about Jesus, all the while going through all of this struggle and heartache in my own heart. And little by little, God began to, to rebuild the pieces of my own heart, my own life. It, it wasn't overnight, and it's still not over with, where God meets me in those broken places and begins to give me a ministry out of that suffering. And the reason why I share that is because it's so applicable to our text today and what we see in Philip that his heart had to be shattered, right? The loss of his friend and witnessing that, the brutality of his murder, and all kinds of people being um, scattered and suffering and broken. And, and, and in all of that, God was doing something in his own heart. And here's, here's part of what suffering and struggle does for us, friends, is it makes us honest. Suffering makes you honest because it strips away all the veneer that I want, I want to present to you that everything's okay. But when suffering and struggle comes, all of that pretense is, is stripped away. And you're able to see my heart. And here's the amazing thing with that. You're also able to see the heart of, of Jesus. When God strips away all the outside stuff in your life and circumstances, people are able to see the, the real heart of who you are straight through to Christ. I had a, a, a professor one time, just a, a great professor who was a longtime pastor for like 50, 60 years. And I remember raising my hand in class one day and saying, Dr. Wilmington, What's the one characteristic that every great pastor needs? And without hesitation, he said, empathy. The ability to be able to feel other people's pain and emotions. And then I kind of put my hand up again and said, well, okay, well, Dr. Wilmington, how do, you, how do you get empathy? And he said, well, you don't get it in, in textbooks. You get it through suffering. You suffer. You struggle, you hurt, you're lonely, you grieve. And through all of that, Jesus meets you in that place. Jesus says, I am close to the brokenhearted, to the lonely, to the grieving. And through all of that, God gives us a ministry. And Philip shares what he has left with the people of Samaria, because it's the only thing, guys, that he has left is Jesus. It's the only thing he has to give, and that's what he presents in such a strong way. 
Ironically, Paul would go on to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take away this thorn. And we don't know what Paul's thorn was, if it was emotional, if it was physical, if it was a memory of how he ravaged the church and hurt people and approved executions. We don't know what it was, and I think that's intentional because we all have our different thorns. And most of us have that one thorn in the flesh, that one memory, that one ailment, that one emotion, that one thing in your life, that great sadness. And Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord to take that away from me. But his answer was this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more of my weakness, for in my weakness the power of Christ rests upon me. We don't wallow in our weaknesses. We don't wallow in our stories. We share our stories vulnerably because through our stories and through our pain and our struggle and our grief and our loneliness and our suffering and so much that so many of you are experiencing today, through those things, the power of Christ is made strong. And Jesus is close to you. And you're able to bring Jesus close to other people to make a way for people to find the way. And look back at the text here, Acts chapter 8. The crowds are listening. They're hanging on Philip's every word. They're listening to his words, but they're also doing what? They're watching. And from this point forward, Philip becomes known as the evangelist. Have you ever heard that before? Philip the evangelist. That's how he becomes known. And we learn an important lesson here, don't we? That evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, going and telling people other Jesus about Jesus, going beyond ourselves, is both proclamation, our words, but what else? It's demonstration. It's showing people Jesus. And both of these things are happening here. And people are coming to know Jesus. Conversion is happening. And the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is on display here. And then we get to this final verse here in our, in our first story. Acts chapter 8, verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Don't you love that? As Jesus is proclaimed... As people are watching the demonstration of the gospel, as they're coming to meet Jesus, much joy comes to that city. And may that be true in our city. As Jesus is high and lifted up, as the gospel is proclaimed and demonstrated through our lives, may much joy come to this place because joy always follows Jesus. Do you know that? The more Jesus that you have in your life and in your heart, especially in those places in your heart right now that you haven't allowed Jesus to enter into, those rooms in your heart that you're, you're keeping blocked out, the more rooms and the more spaces in your heart and your soul that you allow Jesus to come into, the more joy you can experience in your life. And joy is different from happiness. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Joy is very different than happiness. Happiness is up and down. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I've learned experientially in my own life, but also as a pastor, that you're either in a crisis, you're coming out of a crisis, or you're getting ready to go into a crisis. That's the nature of this broken world. But guess what? Here's the good news, friends. Jesus is with you in all of it. And in and through all of that, his presence can be known his heart can be found and joy can be found in that. Happiness is dependent on your external circumstances. Joy is dependent on an internal condition of your heart that nothing can ch touch, 
that your business can't touch, that your boss can't touch, that your friends can't touch, your neighbors, nobody can take that away from you. The joy that you have in your heart because of Christ. And that's what's happening here in this city. So much joy, not just happiness. Joy fills that city in the midst of difficult circumstances because Jesus has come. Before we get to the second story, I said there were two stories that show the heart of Philip. Before we get to that second story, let let me go back to the very first verse in the text here in Acts chapter 8. As all the people are scattered because of the persecution, these last three words sort of jump off the page of Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Did you notice them? All the people were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Isn't that weird? All the people scatter and they go about preaching and proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel to Judea and Samaria, these other regions, these other uh, cultural people, people that are different than them. They go beyond except the apostles. And there's probably some legitimate reasons for this, some leadership stuff, some structural stuff, but there's also some probably less appetizing reasons for this too. That maybe the apostles were sort of stuck. Maybe they liked ministering to just uh, the people there in Jerusalem. We, We don't know. It's inference, but they don't go beyond until... This story, until Philip goes beyond. And then we get to verse 14 in Acts chapter 8 in our chapter today. And it reads that when the apostles at Jerusalem, because they're still there in Jerusalem, when they hear that Samaria has received the word of God, they send to them who? Peter and John. So here comes the odd couple again, Peter and John. They're back on the scene. And now they're going to Samaria And they're going to instruct them doctrinally because there are some doctrinal issues. And you can read about that on your own in Acts chapter 8. As people are coming to Jesus, there's there's some issues. And Peter and John come and correct them. And then look at verse 25. After they had testified and spoken about the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Philip leads his leaders. And sometimes God calls you to lead the people that are over you, to go beyond first, and to bring people who are in authority over you beyond with you. And that's what happens here. As Philip goes beyond, as he goes to Samaria, as he leaves leaves Jerusalem, he brings the apostles with him. He brings the church with him. And that's significant to see. And then we get to this other story in Philip's life, and we'll finish here. Philip and the Ethiopians. Skip down in chapter 8 to verses 26 through 39. Let me read it to you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. This is Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Back to Acts chapter 8, verse 34. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began speaking with this scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, and he commanded his chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. The spirit of God says to Philip, rise and go. And then look at verse 27. What does Philip do? He rose and he went. A great example of obedience, of following the Spirit's prompting in his life. Rise and go, so he rose and went. It's, it's simple when we read these two verses, verses 27 and, or 26 and 27, about Philip's obedience. It's simple when we read someone else's story to, to, to just kind of look at their obedience and think that that was simple or easy. Someone else's obedience always seems easy when we're watching it from the outside. But make no mistake, following Jesus and obeying Jesus, as we see here, always requires sacrificial faith. And for so many of us today, that's how Jesus is speaking to us. He's calling us to a person or a place or a job or a circumstance. He's calling us to go beyond ourselves. And we're simply called to, to listen and to obey, to rise and to go. And for Philip, that mean, meant going down to a, to a place called Gaza, it was a road that led from Jerusalem uh, down south and eventually would find its way in Egypt and then on to Ethiopia, into the continent of Africa. But in this place specifically near Gaza where the road ended, it was literally the end of the road. So don't miss this in the context of the story. God sends Philip, Philip obeys, to the very end of the road to meet this Ethiopian and to minister to him because... God always makes a way for people to find the way. God is busy in this world right now making a way for people, men, women, and children across the planet to find the way, to find Jesus. So who was this Ethiopian in the story? What do we know about him? Well, we know that he was from Ethiopia in this place that was called Cush in the Old Testament. And for the Ethiopians, they were considered to be ones living at the end of the earth, the Romans. And if you look at Roman literature, Romans considered Ethiopia to be the very end of the earth. So just for a second, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, our theme verse for the whole book. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, ends of the earth. And we see that on display here in the story. Someone from the end of the earth is being converted to Christ. And what we know about him is he came from this place and he represents the first true Gentile in the book of Acts that's converted to Christ. We've seen Jews, different eth ethnicities of Jews, uh, Hebraic, Hellenistic. We've seen Samaritans who were half Jews. This is the first Gentile, the first non-Jew to meet Jesus in the book of Acts. And this is very significant for taking the gospel beyond Sometimes, sometimes, just by way of application here, sometimes going into all the world for us as Christ followers is reaching someone who will go into all the world. Sometimes God calls us to, to go 
to the ends of the earth, to geographic places beyond this place. And sometimes God calls us to reach people and disciple people who will go to those places. God didn't call Philip to go to Ethiopia. God called Philip to meet the Ethiopian on the road to Ethiopia. And as he reached him and ministered to him, then this person would go on to carry the gospel to his hometown. So did you know that there are 150,000 people in our city, in Charlotte, that were born outside of the United States? 150,000 people that live in the city of Charlotte that were born outside of the United States. Moreover, did you know that at one of our partner schools, Ottawa Elementary, that 40 different nations are represented among the student population? The world is coming to Charlotte for so many reasons. And so sometimes God calls us to go around the world to share the gospel. And we're going to continue to do that at New City through our global partnerships and opportunities that God opens for us to go to places around the world geographically. But sometimes God calls us to go across the street, to go across the cubicle, to go across the room, and to meet someone that God has already sent here and share the gospel with them. And that's what we see happening here. Philip goes to him and meets him in this place, and he will go even further beyond. But there's more. There's even more to the text. Because we also know about the Ethiopian that he's searching for God, God, isn't he? He came to Jerusalem to do what? To worship. He wants to come to the temple to worship the God of Israel. He's a God-fearer. He's a God-seeker. He's trying to understand God and have a relationship with God. So he comes to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. But the scripture also tells us that he's a, a eunuch. So he's not able to come into the temple because he has a physical deformity. He would not have been allowed access into the inner courts of the temple. And moreover, he was also a Gentile. So he had two strikes against him. They would not have, have allowed him to come in. So think about this. He's journeying 750 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. It would have taken 30 to 45 days on that chariot. He's taking a quarter of the year to journey on this pilgrimage to meet God. And when he finally gets to the temple, the place where God lives, he's denied access. You're not good enough. Because of your physical limitations and because of your ethnicity and your background, you're not allowed to meet God. And if this isn't a picture of religiosity, I don't know what is. But it's also a vivid picture of the gospel. Because religion says that you've got to work your way to God. It's about where you were born, your last name, your socioeconomic status, your meritorious behavior, all the things that you need to do, your pilgrimage, three prayers, five steps, all these things you have to do to prove your worth to God, to get to God. But the gospel is this, that God found you when you were running the other direction. That God came to you. So don't miss this in the story. The Ethiopian comes to the temple to meet God. He's denied access because he's not good enough. But on, his road, on the road back home, as he must have been disillusioned and disappointed, God met him. God came to him at the end of the road. And he does the same for each and every one of us. He meets us in our brokenness and our despair. When religiosity ends, when we understand that we'll never be good enough to, to merit the love of God, to be as holy as God is, to meet his standard, then we're able to understand our need for grace and accept it and see Jesus for who he really is. And that's what happens here. 
And the scripture says here that Philip ran to him, verses 30 through 33, runs to him, and he hears him reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 specifically. And if you read Isaiah 53, it's all about who? Jesus. About the suffering servant who would come and take away our sins. The one that would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Ethiopian would have been reading this language. The the lamb that was led to the slaughter, who was silent, who was denied justice, who was taken from this earth. And Philip hears him reading that out loud. That seems strange to us, but in those days when you read a text, you read it out loud. So he would have heard him reading that, and he goes up to him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says this, look at this, verse 31. He says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? How how can I understand all of this unless somebody who's already gone before, who's already gone beyond, will help me and guide me? If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you've been following Christ for some time and you really want to grow your faith, which I know that you do, if you want to take the next step in your faith and your understanding and your walk with Jesus, if you want to grow in your faith, guide someone else in theirs. You don't have to have all the answers. Find someone else that you can disciple. One other person that you can open up the scriptures with and through the power of the Holy Spirit you can minister to and guide them in their own journey. And you'll grow and you'll learn as you guide other people. That's what we see happening here. Philip says, you know, what are you reading? Do you understand? He says, how can I know? Here's what I'm reading. And then he asked this question, about whom is this text written? What a question. Who is this lamb that was slaughtered? Who is this one who was denied justice? About whom is this written, Philip? Is this about the prophet Isaiah or is there someone else? And of course, we learned earlier today that every book of the Bible and every text in the Bible is about someone else. About someone and his name is Jesus. And the scripture says that with this text, I love that, with the text, with the word of God, Philip begins to minister and shows him and tells him the good news about Jesus. And the Bible simply says this, that he went on his way rejoicing, but not before he did this, not before he finds some water and says, I want to get baptized. I want to follow in obedience right now. And in that way, he mirrors Philip's own obedience to come to him. Now he's going to obey obey immediately and be baptized as a sign of his decision to follow Jesus. And if you haven't been baptized before as a Christ follower, we're going to have several opportunities this year at New City to do so. And I want to encourage you in that. The Bible says that when they come up out of the water, Philip is carried away supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to go and preach to other people beyond And then the last words that we ever read about the Ethiopian are these. And he went on his way rejoicing. We never read about the Ethiopian again in the scriptures. The story ends right here for him, going on his way rejoicing. 
And he's rejoicing on his way because he found the way. And specifically because someone showed him the way. Because God always makes a way for people to find the way. Even though we don't read about the the Ethiopian eunuch ever again in the scriptures, in the second century there was a church historian that picked up his story and recorded it for us. And here's what we know. We know that he went back to Ethiopia back to his homeland and became a missionary to his people. He became a witness of Jesus and the gospel to his people. And in that case, he became the very first missionary on the continent of Africa. And it's all because of this one simple truth. Bottom line today, God makes a way. God always makes a way for people to find the way to find Jesus. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for finding us at the end of our road and for making a way for us to find the way, to find you. Would you give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to each of us today individually? And would you now give us the faith to obey? It's in your name that we ask this. Amen. Amen.